Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. Once again, I'm Rajan, he's Patrick, and we've gathered here today in celebration for what very well might be one of the four most important days in DC sports history over the past handful of years, right behind the Caps winning the Stanley Cup, the Mystics winning the WNBA championship, and the Nationals winning the World Series. Because today, as any Redskins fan is undoubtedly aware, as of 7.02 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, being Monday morning, the Washington Redskins released a statement stating 21 words that fans of this team have been clamoring for for what seems like an eternity. And I quote, Bruce Allen has been relieved of his duties as president of the Washington Redskins and is no longer with the organization. And Allen's firing has been part of what Pat and I have been jokingly referred to as the Great Purge, with the team dismissing the much uh, maligned head trainer Larry Hess, in addition to Allen, while simultaneously being away, uh, hours away rather, at least as of the time of this podcast, from officially making Ron Rivera, the former head coach of the Carolina Panthers, the next head coach of the Redskins. So with all of that stated, Patrick, as you've sifted through the events of the last 36 hours or so, where's your head at? How's your feeling? How are you feeling all of the above? Uh, I'm feeling about as awesome as you can. I'm wearing all my skins gear as we, as we speak. I almost, I almost brought out the jerseys. We, can't, we, can't, we can wear burgundy and golden public without oh, hating ourselves. God, it's the best day ever. I, um, I landed last night at about 11 o'clock. Um, back in seattle first for the first time in two weeks i have a vicious cold um you know all i want to do is you know sleep my own bed it's the end of the, end of the quarter end of the year for sales and i woke up to just a like i forget the number it was like 114 text messages and i was like something happened Some, something um, went down and so the, the first one i clicked on was from uh was from my brother and it just said um you know you should probably check twitter and obviously Bruce Allen being done is the, is the best Christmas gift I could have gotten. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for years now. Um, I, I, it's a, it's a huge day. Um, I don't care. I don't even care if the our next year's team goes two and 14. I'm just pumped. This guy's gone. Hopefully it changes some things It had to happen. And God, it feels so good. Yeah, I, right. I, I feel I feel I can wear my hat in public. I've made this joke pride. so many times. I, I continue to say again, I'm not a Star Wars fan by any stretch of the imagination, but well, I always just this one's pretty good. I always come back to that moment. I think it's the episode six or whatever, the third of the original three, where like after they Darth Vader dies and they throw the Emperor, who's not actually dead, whatever, according to the new movies. But anyway, they throw him down that I hole. Can you, I can tell you all about it if you want. No, I'd rather not. <laughs> they throw him down that hole and like the entire universe is celebrating and like the last 15 minutes of the movie is just planted after planned of celebrations. And like, I feel like that's Redskins fandom today, right? Like the Emperor is dead. This, this tyrant is dead. And we have, the, Snyder has once again done it. He has sold us the quintessential human emotion of hope. There is something to be hopeful about. There is some silver lining in all of this. There is finally the light at the end of all of this darkness. He's once again reeled us back in. God damn him for that. But he's, at least you can tangibly say something that we are no longer, at least in this capacity, going to be the laughingstock rotten vegetable of the league as we have been for the past X number of years, and especially for two, all of 2019. Yeah, the, uh, to, to give you another movie metaphor, I, uh, I was joking with a couple of my buddies today that I, I feel like um, George Bailey towards the end of It's a Wonderful Life that I was sitting on the, uh, on the bridge going, please let me live again. Please let me live again. And I was like, I saw the tweet and I was like, Bert, you know me? Um, you know, I was, uh, he did sell us hope. I, you know, similar to you, Redskins is just, it's so built into the DNA of any really good DC sports fan. And, and, you know, we've talked about, well, is it a Nats town? Is it a Caps fan? It's a Redskins town, whether people want to admit it or not. It always will be. I've been saying it all along. And, you know, today it was, it was interesting to follow. Like Twitter was like crack cocaine today. I like couldn't stop looking at it. I was like, God, something something else is going to happen. You're going to get carpal tunnel from all the refreshes. I know. But, you know, I kept, I I loved it. you know, I think we should talk about Larry Hess tonight too, because I think is I think that's equally as important. Oh yeah. Um, but there was a point in time where I thought Bruce would never go anywhere unless he retired, and um, 
you know, I think, I think there's something to be said for the fans. You know, this is the second time the fans have been like, yo, Dan, you need to do something. The other one was when he was about to hire Jim Fossil. Um, he listens to us, even though sometimes it takes him longer than he wants, but he's a fan at heart. And he's always said that. And the fire Bruce Allen movement, praise Jesus, finally came through. Yeah. Um, jumping to that point, Al Galdi, he said it very eloquently on Twitter today of the fire Bruce Allen movement or the hashtag fire Bruce Allen movement. It was a year plus relentless onslaught that was an unprecedented in DC sports. It became impossible for the Redskins to ignore and the desired result is now realized. But I think the more interesting thing one was Darren Haynes of WUSA 9 tweeting out, fire Bruce Allen has been used on social media 55,623 times in the last 300 Six five days, thirteen thousand came just this past month. Eighteen thousand times fire Bruce Allen or hashtag fire Bruce Allen was twi- was mentioned in the last one month. Th- that's staggering. And it, to your point, it happened. I mean, I think to a lesser extent with Vinny Serrato because everyone was just so fed up with the team and social media was in its infancy. But the outrage towards Jim Fossil is 100% correct when they were about to name him the head coach and then they went ultimately with, uh, with Zorny for Horny or Horny oh, for Zorny, rather. And, uh, and today, it's just incredible. <sighs> and it just culminates all of this, like, Redskins fans can disagree on so many things and Lord knows we do, but like this was just one harmonious voice that finally said on top of the fact that the team wasn't getting any ratings and, you know, people weren't going to the games and, you know, the tickets, the, the jokes about the tickets were what they were. And, and, you know, you could see the large swaths of empty seats, like finally all of that crescendo to the point where like something had to be done, which is exactly what we've been saying. They're like the best way you can make a change on this team for the better is to, you know, openly antagonize this team. Yeah, I think um, that stat about how many times that hashtag's been used is right up my alley because, you know, we work with the Red- – my company works with the Redskins. I've been in Ashburn. I've been there. They all, work, you know, walk on eggshells. Um, I've even jokingly said on Twitter it would be exhausting to work for the Redskins social team just because everyone – you know, they could they could do anything good, and that fire, you know, Bruce Allen hashtag was coming. Um, one of the side notes that I think is you, – you mentioned in the opening line the, the statement that um, – Dan put out the first statement Dan's released by Redskins in what five years. Um, There was zero mention of a thank you to Bruce Allen, which I thought was, which was nice, nice little touch. There was also a mention of culture, uh, which I thought was a nice little touch. Yes. Um, And obviously at the end, he said to bring, you know, a winning franchise back to Washington, DC. He like checked so many boxes off to me in this, in this five, not 200 words. Was that it? Something like uh, that. You know, however short of a um, little blurb it was, but he killed it. I, it was like so petty and short and to the point, but I was just like, you know what? You and I right now, we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> the first it's like It's the first time we're, we're like right on, Dan. Like right on. You, 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 you got it right, you know? Uh, totally. It was so vindictive and petty, but to the right audience. So we're like right on. I'm glad you stuck it to him that way. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's um, there's so many little tidbits uh, there's like too many tidbits, I think, of this. It's It's been boiling for so long. It's gotten down to, you know, like, oh, Dan's not standing next to, to Bruce right now. He's getting fired tomorrow. There's so much that goes into this. But I also kind of wonder, and I don't think this is part of the, the outline we discussed beforehand, but I also wonder what happens if, if Alex doesn't break his leg last year because Smith is in that box now every game, and you know he's got to be one of the people being like, dude, this organization sucks. You need, need to go talk to people outside the organization because Bruce cannot be here. And what does Dan do? I'm not saying that happened, but I bet you Alex said something. I mean, so I'm curious as with sports, the confluence of events that leads you to where you are. It's just, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Like, you know, there's the, the amount of what ifs that happens in sports history that lead to events later on and change the, trajectory of sports history is just incredible and it's just one of those fleek those sequences or fluke sequences that happen and i mean alex smith breaking his leg and leading to his wife becoming best friends with tanya snyder you know and it's like i mean you just you you can't make that up and it just it is and i i 100 percent agree with your point that that's got to have brokered the relationship between the two to where alex can say like this (coughs) asshat's gotta go right like this guy's a piece everyone knows he's a piece and you're the laughing stock of the league because of this piece yeah, no, I, I, I think Alex, I mean, obviously we are completely speculating, but I think Alex was a big influence of telling Dan, you need more people in your ear than just one person. Um, because I think it was JP reported it, uh, JP Finley about, and then multiple people came out and reported around it. But 
think JP had it first, this, this idea that Dan just shut everybody off and started talking to outside sources who we don't know. We, people guess it's Gibbs and, and Meyer as a couple of them. But the idea that's, I mean, I've been, I've been talking about Bruce being fired for a while. You've been talking about Bruce being fired for a while. This has been, apparently it almost happened last year. So this has been boiling, but I don't think he was ever going to go unless Dan started talking to people outside. Um, and I think to your point around Tanya and, and Alex's wife becoming friends, Alex starting to be there. Alex has been in really good organizations and played for teams that have won. He knows what it takes. And he's also been beaten down and come right back up. Like this guy's a football lifer. And I have, to, I have to believe that my guess is Urban Meyer was in that box because Alex Smith brought him. Not, he did not come for Terry. He was there to talk to Dan for six hours or however long they spoke um, about what to do. Um, because they're on the, they're also supposedly friends. I don't know who reported that, but I was like, that sounds sketchy to me. Um, but you're right. I think that that single moment's really big to me because I think it's it's separated. It gave Dan a new person to talk to about football who actually knew what football is about, not some business guy who's a politician who's an asshat and all of us hate him. Um, so, so you and I had a conversation offline about, you know, you, you nailed it, but you felt like the Rivera reports were more accurate. And I was pretty staunch in my belief that I thought it was going to be Meyer as the next head coach. And I believe that report that came out from that guy, I don't know, former 980 or one of uh, the, the 980 guy. Yeah. Like whatever he was. And he was emphatic. He was, he was right for a lot of it though. But regardless of what ha- that went down, I, f- the reason why I felt rather strong in my conviction that it was going to be Meyer is because it reminded me a lot of the end of 2009. There was a the Washington Post did an amazing story of how basically Snyder and, um, and Allen, when Allen was newly hired, went and spent a few days down at Mike Shanahan's palace. The Crown Royal. It lives in Bahamas Denver. Trip. And basically the idea of that trip was like, hey, um, tell me what goes into a good organization or what goes into a good head coach or whatever. And by the end of that trip, it just ended up being like, <laughs> Snyder ended up being like, hey, Shanahan, you want the job? Like it didn't go down as like at least to the best of my knowledge or recollection, Snyder didn't go down for that trip with the intention of hiring Shanahan. It was more of a fact finding mission for a two time Super Bowl winner, which led to that. And I kind of thought in my head that this exact same thing was going to happen to Meyer, especially with the fact that he wanted to steal Meyer away from Jerry Jones because of the comment Meyer made that the Cowboys are the Cowboys and the gold standard, or that'd be the one team that he would pick up the phone for to take the head coaching job. And I thought with my, um, Snyder's ego, he would want to be the one be like, yo, I hired Meyer away from the Cowboys and I lured him there. Combined with the fact that Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback, McLaurin's there. They'd have the second pick in the draft available to draft another Ohio State guy whom Meyer recruited. So I thought all of the confluence events kind of came that way. Obviously, I was wrong. I'm fine with that. That's great. Um, I, I'm not an Urban Meyer fan personally. So like, because mostly I grew up rooting for Michigan. Um, so, you know, that's fine. But um, that's kind of how I felt about the whole situation. That's a different conversation. Entirely different conversation. Didn't go to Michigan, but I just grew up rooting for Michigan for reasons I can't fully explain. Um, I think back to your point about the pettiness. It was very Mean Girls-ish. That video it was one of the NBC Sports guys. I don't think it was Finley. I think it was somebody else. I think it was um, – I can't remember who it was. I don't want to give false credit to someone. But, like, basically it was um, at the end of the game, Bruce Allen was walking one way, and, like, Snyder and Alex Smith were walking, like, in another direction. And it just – it seems so seventh-grade mean girls petty, but, like, it just kind of goes to serve the backdrop over it. And then on top of that, coupled with the idea that Julie Donaldson's tweet this morning about how um, Bruce Allen was – she has. She's been excellent. Also, back to your point from earlier, J.P. Finley, he's not getting enough credit for all the reporting he's done throughout the course of this. He's absolutely killed it. He's done a tremendous job. Him and John Kime, as usual, I mean, the two of them have been all over it. So much much respect to them. They've been amazing. But um, the Julie, Julie Donaldson tweeted about how Bruce Allen was ushered out of the building with by security. Uh, I just love it. Like, literally. I, I would have paid good money to be out in the parking lot when Alan was there so I could, like, throw – rotten tomatoes or like moldy fruit at him as he's being ushered out of the building. I would, I would have paid really, really good money for just one shot to like nail right in the face, but that would have been the biggest, it would have been the biggest tailgate <laughs> the rest of really, the season in years. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> the pitchforks would have been out. Um, yeah. Julia Dawson has been, she's been like uniquely all over it to the point where she has a connection somewhere that's feeding her probably direct information. I wouldn't be surprised if Dan's giving her the information. Dan or um, the agent of, uh, or, of um, uh, Ron Rivera. That's my feeling on yeah, this. It's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I didn't actually know that fact about Shanahan. I thought, I thought Dan always wanted Shanahan. 
I believe, again, I could be wrong. I could be misciting this, but I know that they went, they stayed a few days down at his ranch or whatever he lives on. And I feel like at the end of the trip is where he basically went to Shanahan. It's like, yo, you want the job? But that was not the intention to go there. The intention to go there was fact finding. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I knew, I knew they would win. And, and I know, I remember a lot of discussion about how much Crown Royal was drink um, <laughs> at, at, at the, uh, wherever they were, the Bahamas or a ranch or wherever. Um, but one thing I think that's interesting is, and again, this is a little speculative, but so it came out, I think on Friday <clears throat> that Bruce Allen was going to be relieved uh, and fired as football ops, but no one knew if that meant like, is he done with the organization or if he was going to be put somewhere else. And I think that was a strategic move from Dan. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> there's been a lot of talk. I think um, some of the quotes that you sent me were from, I think his name is Charles Robinson about how GM, candidates, et cetera. A lot of people are pushing, a lot of people are pushing back on Danny even being there. Right. But I think the reason it wasn't came, didn't come out right away. That he was fired totally is I think Dan wanted to see how the fan base would react <clears throat> strictly to him being moved or as a consultant for the stadium, which by the way, the stadium situation is worse than the on-field performance. Yes, it is. He had, he had three places that were states, well, I guess two states and, in the district, you know, in the district that, that wanted uh, the stadium. And now nobody wants it. Um, I mean, that Richmond debacle is just like Virginia's running for the hills. Maryland doesn't want it. D.C. can't get the land. I mean, he screwed this whole thing up. Um, but I think, he, I think it was announced that way because I wanted – I'm convinced Dan's got multiple burner accounts on Twitter. And he wanted to see what people were going to say about it. And then I think the Fiber Zone hashtag just got, you know, spiked even more. And people were like, screw that. You know, let's get him out of here. So he has league people being like, I'm not going to come interview there if Bruce is there. You have coaches who are saying, I'm not going to come, you know, be Bruce Allen's puppet. And you have a fan base that says, I don't care if this guy's the janitor, get him the fuck out of Ashburn. And, you know, I think as early as Friday morning, I think Bruce was coming back. And finally there was enough blowback from everyone, from every angle that Dan was like, you know, you have to go. I'm convinced. I agree with you. I think when the news first came out, I think it was JP again, who tweeted out that like, as of Monday morning, like expect Bruce Allen to be removed from football operations. And in fact, on our ongoing Slack thread with me and my friends, my buddy Amit, who ironically is a Cowboys fan, but he was joking. He's like, yeah, that just means Bruce Allen's going to be reassigned as head buttlicker of Dan Snyder. And like, that's pretty much what we expected. You know, like it was actually, you know, I mean, it could be his head of stadium operations, but really was chief salad tosser. Like that's what we expected him. And I think, I think I, I agree with you what you're saying in half. I think he was looking around and saying if there would be a viable head coach, coaching candidates, starting with Ron Rivera, who would be okay with Bruce Allen being in another part of the org. And I think every single viable head coaching candidate was like, no, I want nothing. I don't want this guy involved in anything. Like I said, whether it's salad tossing or janitorial duties or whatever, like he can't be employed by this organization. It's either him or us. And I think that forced Snyder's hand because I think every, like somebody, <laughs> I think it was Julie Donaldson, but basically it was like, I don't even think Ron Rivera was going to accept the faux interview. And I think it was Mike Silver or Ian Rappaport who called it a coronation, basically, that if he came, it was going to be as the, the head coach or to accept the job offer. And like the agent for Ron Rivera is like, I'm not even going to get, let it go that far if Brucifer is still part of this org. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with this. I think, um, I think enough people, at least I'm, I'm thinking like national media. Last time we spoke, we talked the difference between how it's reported locally versus how it's reported nationally. I don't know if it was the last time we spoke or two times ago, but there was enough smoke nationally. I think that Dan had to take this a lot more seriously, right? People were literally tweeting out, no one's going to interview there with Bruce. Like it's just not going to happen. And <clears throat> everyone was talking about how undesirable the Redskins job is. And I think even with Bruce gone, there's, it's still probably the least desirable. I think, I think Ron Rivera is, and I, I, I'm actually pro Rivera, and we can get into that later. But it was, it's a safe pick for Dan. He can sell a guy that's one. He can sell a guy that's going to build a culture. You know, it's a safe bet. But these other, these other organizations like the Cowboys and Panthers, Cleveland, Cleveland's looking for a coach every year, so maybe they're maybe they fall into our category. But those guys can go get the the enemies, right? They they have the resources. Coaches are going to want to go there because the talent that's there. And they're going to be given a blank check. And it's just like, you know, 
it's a model franchise. How many times has something changed in the Redskins organization and people say, oh, Dan wants to win. And then six months later, it's you know, square one. So, yeah, yeah, it's back to square one. And my point is, is like, as bad as Bruce was, I think you have, you, you have Dan who's just going to say what he needs to say to get someone hired and go do his own thing. And Bruce, people are like, you know what? I can deal with one or the other, but I'm not doing both. And the only thing that was going to change is getting rid of Bruce. And to the point that everyone else has made that Bruce is the type of guy who's going to poison the well for whoever the coach is, kind of like what he did with Scott McLuhan, like the track record. Oh, did, you, did you read Kime's report about this today? Like yes. just came out probably like an hour ago. His thing, as usual, he killed it. Like just all the yeah, stuff. It's so good. I had no idea that our, our – uh, I mean, I knew our facility sucked. That's kind of been well reported. Um, I didn't realize that the players and the executives are on the same floor. Literally, like, like right they next just, to each they other. They just interact with each other. I've been yeah. there. I didn't realize they were together. I was like, oh, this is just where the executives are and players are walking by. I didn't know that, like, every organization is totally separate. In Kime's story, he had that quote from Will Compton who said, and I quote, you love being there, you love the relationships you had there, he meant in terms of players, but outside the friendships and relationships, you see that man, it's a toxic place. And it's just so funny when you see that type of quote, again, coming from a player who was pretty well liked by the organization, one of those gritty, scrappy players, not like a high, you know, high round draft pick or highly touted draft pick or whatever, like he was an undrafted free agent. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he was drafted. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, uh, and you see him say, that and you just juxtapose that with you know the culture is damn good and it's just really funny and then the culture the culture quote by Snyder as you mentioned in the statement was just was just chef's kiss and then um, and then let's just segue to Ron Rivera while we're there I think one of the reasons why it doesn't have the quote unquote sex appeal that a Urban Meyer would have or maybe some other you know not the Lincoln Riley or any of that any of anybody I don't, think, I don't think we could have gone that route no I, I think we could have offered 20 million dollars a year I don't think we no could. No first-time head coach is going to come here. They'll be, um, for, they'll be set up to fail. But more than anything else, you know, when, when, when Ron Rivera got fired and all the people who came out in his, like, in his defense, not defense, but like the people who came out to, as statements after he got fired, including guys like Luke Keekley and all those guys in the Panthers, they just kept saying, like, forget about the fact that he was a good coach or whatever level of coach he was. He was a great human being, and he was somebody who was well-respected, well-liked, like, held in very, very, very high regard among his players, among the community, among everything else. He was the type of guy who would bend over backwards for his players, but still command the respect of all the guys in the room. All of this is a way of saying he was a culture builder. And I think this was a major, I think a major point for Dan to go out and get him, not because Rivera was the sexiest or the shiniest toy on the object, on the um, available, but it was because he kind of realized that, you know, as the saying goes, the inmates were running the asylum in for too long. And I think there was the statements that everyone was making about how Bill Callahan came in and kind of tightened up all those loose ends that Jay Gruden kind of left when he was there. And I think this kind of just takes that to the next level, minus the caveman philosophy of Bill Callahan. You know, Riverboat Ron was always a moniker for Ron Rivera because of his ability to gamble and maybe somewhat play the analytics a little bit, but just, you know, at least play the percentages and be more aggressive in certain cases combined with the fact that again he is the proverbial leader of men and um i I really think that's the big thing and i also believe and we'll talk about this in a second that he kind of instead of saying we forcing him to work with bruce allen he found somebody who one will work with dwayne haskins and two would be okay to the idea of keeping kevin o'connell as the offensive coordinator yeah i actually really want to talk about that part but there's a couple things about rivera that stood out to me because you're right all those players after he got fired from McCaffrey to Olsen to Keekley. All came out and just said how like awesome this guy was. And so beloved that the Panthers even let him give a press conference as he was being fired. He was like, Yeah, can't think he gets enough and he walked out the door, obviously. And not but to cut you couple- off, but even when Tepper when Tepper did his ten minute interview <laughs> about that, like he started off the first sixty seconds of saying, like, look, Ron Rivera's a great guy. He there was no vindictiveness spike, not like what we did with Bruce Allen. Like he spent the first thirty to sixty seconds basically saying what a great person Rivera was and that just change was needed. But sorry, go ahead, I'll cut you off. No, 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 it fits in well where I was going with this. It's, it's, there's two people that came out today <clears throat> that uh, stepped in. One was Jared McCoy, who was basically like, I came to the Panthers to play for him. And they asked him, like, what do you think about his hire, being hired at the Redskins? And he said, you know, I forget the exact quote, but something along the lines of their career is about to change because of him. Like, he loves him. The other one was from um, Dan Orlovsky. Orlov- Orlov- yeah. Is that how you his name? Yep. Um, and he came out and he said, go check, out, <clears throat> go check out what the Panthers have done the last month and tell me Ron Rivera wasn't the one keeping that team together. Yeah, right. they, they looked like shit after the heat. They looked like shit. They were terrible. 
And this guy, this guy won six, seven games with Kyle Allen, who was undrafted. Um, you know, and he's very defensive minded. I think one of his knocks, because there is the knock that he, you know, he's had more losing seasons than winning seasons, has been offense. But like those players go out and play as hard as they can for him every single week. And that is something that, I mean, we haven't seen since, I mean, Gibbs 2.0, maybe. I can't, I can't remember the last time the Redskins week to week played as hard as they could. I like really can't. I think Gibbs 2.0 is accurate. Where they were consistently, they, like whether or not they played well, they at least played hard. And to your point, I think that's what it was. Um, I, I think a lot of Rivera, I'm not saying this because he's our guy now. I think Rivera is a great leader of men, but there you can oh, definitely look at his resume and say like, you know, I, and you alluded to it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I think Rivera was a little bit of a um, – was because of the GMs that he had around him. Marty Herney was a people pleaser. Marty Herney was the type of guy who would dole out big contracts just to keep player loyalty. <laughs> another reason why the Panthers organization was held in, in – This dude went to a Super Bowl with Gettleman. He, exactly. So Dave Gettleman, right? Like he, who never met a lineman oh, he wouldn't oh. draft or who, who was very straight out of 1973 of mentality of drafting and building a team. Um, you know, he, he, exactly. He took Dave Gettleman's and Marty Herney's guys to a Super Bowl. That team consistently had trouble with offensive line. I mean, I don't think the Panthers outside of 2015, they had a really good offensive line. They had two all pros that year, but like they've always had right. offensive line troubles. They've, off and on had wide receiver troubles, especially since Steve Smith and Steve Smith retired mostly, you know, they were, they never had that like really complete team. There was always like this one gaping hole. They had like a hodgepodge of running back between Jonathan Allen and, or Jonathan Stewart, excuse Stewart. me, and, and, uh, and, and Christian McCaffrey. Really? Um, really? And to, um, to your point, you know, they, he still took that team there. Now to, to winning records, I think it was, three times he had three double digit win seasons in eight full seasons as head coach. Um, those three times they won 12 games, 15 games, and 11 games. He never finished with less than six wins in any of his years there, including his first year, which was Cam Newton's rookie year. Um, and he was three and four in his playoff games. And of course the Super Bowl appearance in 2015, which I believe they went 15 and one that year. So, you know, there's both sides of the equation on his, on his resume, which I think you can say for most any good coach, they're going to have a few shitty seasons. I'm sure Mike Tomlin has that if I took a closer look to it. Um, but yeah, more than anything else, he's just going to instill a sense of playing hard, being a tough-minded team, which I think was always something of a question under Gruden. <laughs> Gruden's teams, for as fun and interesting and all of those things they've been, they just had the potential. They always had that play up to the good opponents, play down to the really shitty opponents. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just interesting to see how this all came together. Um, I, we've talked a lot about culture and, and things. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to shift a little to Kevin O'Connell. I think, I think Dan put this together a couple weeks ago. Um, that's why when, when we started talking about Rivera, I was just there. <clears throat> I never thought Marvin Lewis was coming back. I think he, I, I'm guessing he was one of the people Dan spoke to. I would be um, surprised. Um, Cause obviously he was there in 2002, maybe to whenever, whenever Spurrier was there. Uh, Cause Lewis was a coordinator. But the idea that um, – It's just – I, I, yes. I bet you that Dan went to Rivera with the idea. He's like, look, I want you to come in. What do you want? Bruce gone. Okay. I'll take care of Bruce as long as you keep O'Connell as your coordinator. I bet you a conversation like that was had between them. You know, one of the things that <clears> – <throat> I mean, obviously, we Rivera needs to be hired. They're at Morton's right now. Um, literally, as we speak, they're at Morton's. Um, and – Obviously, he's got to figure out what kind of staff he wants to put together. And that I want it to be his decision and not anybody else's. But O'Connell sticking, I think, is a very important um, part of this. One, because once O'Connell was given a little freedom, our offense actually started looking like a, you know, futuristic modern-day NFL offense. Two, and I, think, I don't think this can be overlooked, the beginning of the year, all the reports were the same. Jay's offense is too complicated for Dwayne. The, the verbiage is too difficult. He's having a hard time learning how to say it, et cetera, et cetera. Do you want to start all of that over with a new coordinator? Absolutely. Or do you want to keep someone that's been there, they know each other? Uh, Haskins even came out today and said, I hope Kevin stays. Calls him my first name. They like each other. Everyone on that offense loves O'Connell. You know, I think the McVay thing plays into this. We've talked about this about a, a bunch leading up to this. Dan doesn't want this guy walking out the door. That's my – I really honestly – 
Obviously, we're not there, but that's what I think the negotiation between the two were. I think Dan's been plotting this for a while. There's no way Rivera would have been here as fast if this hasn't been in the works for a couple weeks. Um, but my guess is Rivera asked for Bruce to be gone. Dan's response was, fine, you have to keep O'Connell or something along those lines. Because I don't think O'Connell's going anywhere. And I think an interesting layer to all of that, 100% agree. And when I said absolutely to your point about wanting to do that all over again, I meant absolutely like this is a very valid point in the sense that why would you want to have another system where Dwayne Haskins has to A, build a relationship with his offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and B, have to learn everything all over again. That's Jason Campbell 2.0. Exactly, right? Jason Campbell, I, you know, call me the last living apologist for him, but like Josh Rosen's gone through the exact same thing in all of the situation. Like we don't, we tend to overlook how much this type of disruption affects the development of a quarterback quarterback and how having someone like, you know, uh, Peyton Manning had uh, Tom House and I forget his quarterback's coach name for God knows how long, you know, Tom Brady had, I don't remember who it was initially, but then he's had Mike, uh, <coughs> Josh McDaniels. Sam McDaniels for forever. But um, all of those things. And I think to your point about that, one thing that I've always, I found really interesting about this entire situation, Ron Rivera has never been opposed to having an offensive coordinator who differs in a philosophy or just kind of does his own thing. Like Rivera is that classic defensive head coach who's like offense, you do your thing um, as long as it fits under the umbrella of what I want to do, but otherwise I'm not going to interfere with you. Like, don't forget that in his first few years, he had Mike Shula as his offensive coordinator. I think first quarterbacks coach was Mike Shula. Then he got elevated offensive coordinator. After that kind of ran its course, he brought in Norv Turner and Norv no, Turner was the offensive coordinator for the last North. couple of years. Right. I mean, it's old Norv Turner, <laughs> who was kind of a leper when he got hired two years ago and everyone wondered what type of fit that was. And it actually turned out to be really good. And I think that works really well because when Snyder put quote unquote, put Kevin O'Connell on the Rivera, it's not forcing it down his throat. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, this coach is kind of amenable to the setup or it happens to be that this coach is amenable to this type of setup. And I think that's really interesting because as you know, we can talk about in a second, Rivera probably said like, yo, I'll take O'Connell. I'm okay with this. But then I get my guy as defensive coordinator being Steve Wilkes, who, you know, is a long time. They've been together. Is, is, is long time assistant as far back as when Rivera was actually in <laughs> San Diego or what was now San Diego. He'll always be San Diego in my book. Bingo. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right. Um, I think O'Connell stays. I think Wilkes is interesting. Wilkes is kind of a – he's one of those guys that's like – he's the defensive coordinator, but really he's the D, DB's coach. Um, you know, it's, it'll be Rivera's defense. But, I, I mean, I think, I think Wilkes has been a DB coach for well over 10 years, and we have some pretty good young corners who could use that tutelage. Um, I mean, you have Dunbar, you have Moreland, you have – the, the interesting one, obviously, is is Norman because uh, he played for them. <clears throat> His best season came with them. Uh, I think he's gone. I don't even think that's going to be a thing. But Fabian Moreau. Um, Fabian Moreau, once he went to the outside, obviously started playing well. Um, so I, yeah, I think you're right. I think I th- I mean, if we go back to if we go back to Hess being fired, I think Dan is at Morton's right now saying they're finalizing this. Right, they're putting it into paper stuff like that. <clears throat> Wilkes, the, Wilkes, the defense coordinator, Conov's offensive coordinator. Rivera gets to not only pick the rest of the staff, he gets to pick the strength strength training staff. He's going to get to pick the uh, you know the trainers, etc. This is an important important day. This is like the ultimate reset. This isn't like the Vinny reset when they just brought Bruce in and nothing really changed. Same people the same stayed. thing. Yep. Yeah. This was like Bruce or Dan just fired like everyone. Now Santos is still there. Schaefer's still there. Um, Kyle Smith is still there. Kyle Smith is still there. Doug we got to figure out what the front office is going to look like. Yeah, yeah, no one's been talking about Doug. No, don't hear his name in anything, which in kind of anything. just serves just serves a purpose that he's a figurehead and he's kind of an ombudsman at best. Yeah, I mean it has to be because I mean he hasn't been mentioned. I haven't seen his name mentioned one time today. Um, and I forget where I was going with this, but with Wilkes and the, the staff, oh, I was going with the staff. Yes, um, heads heads rolling. Heads roll, but I think Rivera is going to come in. I think part of the culture that we go back to is like Dan. Dan wants to give this guy control because he's known as the culture guy. And I'm almost wondering if Redskins fans made such a big deal of that comment that Bruce made about culture that Dan just latched onto it and was like, "Holy shit, our culture's that bad!" And now I'm going to fix that one thing. Um, <laughs> and so I, I mean, think I think he's going to give Rivera complete control over to go hire whoever you want. I really moves do. like this tend to be very reactionary. I would not be the slightest bit surprised if that's what exactly what happened. With to your point, well, who knows? I know that um, was it. I think it was Norman today when he was talking about bringing in uh, bringing in Wilkes 
because Wilkes basically made his career. Yes. Um, I think it's an underlooked part line that Steve Wilkes was the guy who, under whom Josh Norman became an all pro. I think he was an all pro in 2015, the year before he left Carolina. He was, Dave he was an all pro. Then he, then, then he got tagged and the tag was rescinded. And as soon as yep, it was rescinded, McLuhan, McLuhan flew him in and we signed him to whatever the hell's contract is. Uh, but when he was talking about Wilkes and Rivera as early as today, he, he was like, he also made some pretty terrific backhanded comments at the Redskins organization. Uh, but he was the one talking about, you know, if this comes in, going back to that culture piece, it's going to be night and day if, if those two are in here. Um, and I bet you he wants to stay because of it, because he knows he'd be in a system where his talents are actually utilized properly. Now he's still 32. <coughs> he made his money. Time to move on. But, you know, he was all about Wilkes and the defensive coordinator. He was all about Rivera. The glowing reviews of all these guys are crazy. And I think, I think Dan's right now saying, whatever you want to do to change this culture, do it. I think it's happening as we speak. I would not be the slightest of a bit surprised. This is purely speculative, but Norman comes back on a one or two year or one plus one type of deal, prove it type of deal where he, you know, banks on himself. Cause I think on the free agent market, I believe he's worthless. And if he's really going to, find a situation where he can try to cash in on one last contract, even if it's a two or three year type of deal, it would be here. And especially with a new regime of front office <coughs> now that seemingly would believe in him and a coaching staff that he has comfort with and who has comfort with him. Um, I, I wouldn't be so in, un, and as someone who has been very you think open, he would take that big pay cut? I think so, because I think he's a leper right now in terms of any yeah. other team. Like, I don't think any other team is going to be willing to deal out more than a few million here or there at best. And that's probably very, very generous. And if all things considered, if he's getting a one-year, six million type of deal elsewhere, why wouldn't he just take it in Washington? Like, that's, again, um, good the, point. Best, the best situation. Especially considering he knows, the, he knows the coaches, he knows the scheme. Nothing, there's really nothing, <laughs> nothing he even really needs to think about. I don't think he's back. Though. I think he's gone. I think the organization is starting fresh completely. Um, but you mentioned Smith and Schaefer. Um, we talked recently as far back as a couple of weeks ago about them being kind of the ideal fit for uh, GM president and president of uh, football operations. It sounds like according to Donald's Julia Donaldson, that, that Schaefer is not going to get that GM job. Um, Little known fact, by the way, that Rivera and AJ Smith, Kyle's dad, are friends. I did not know that. Yes. So they work together in San Diego. Uh, and apparently have, a, have probably, they apparently have a very good relationship. So Kyle Smith is someone, Mike, I think we have to keep an eye on here. He's obviously not going anywhere. He's got, you know, a little bit of that young star. Dan's not going to let him out the door. Schaefer, terrific with contracts. Make the guy president tomorrow and just let him run all of that because he's so good at it. But, <clears throat> I mean, I think that's the ideal scenario. But one of the things I think about now is the idea of a lot of people freak out about hiring a coach before a GM and how it should be the other way around. I don't think that matters at all as long as they're hired at the same time and they work together, right? You don't want to hire – you don't want to have a GM that's on the hot seat hiring a coach and vice versa, Right. Rivera comes in, he'll pick – he's basically going to get to pick who he wants to be the GM because he's going to have more power naturally. But I think those two – I think Kyle Smith now is a four-month what, – what, April's month four, right? <laughs> four or five, um, yes. Depending yeah. on how you count it, yes. He has a four-month yeah, – I think he has a four-month audition for this job. Um, it's, it's well known that you're not going to fire the scouting staff right now because they just have – they've done too much work all year to, to throw out the window. You need them for the draft. <clears throat> So I think Kyle Smith is on the clock to be our next GM and other names have been thrown out or um, who's the dude that used to work for us? Morocco Riddick. Brown. Does he? Riddick's one of them. Brown's is it Morocco Brown? Oh, Morocco Brown. Yes. Morocco Brown. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Riddick's the big one, right? Everyone's been talking about Riddick for months. We'll get to that. Uh, Brown, the, the Texans guy, Rick Smith. Um, Rick Smith uh, I think those are the only ones that have really been tossed out. Uh, oh, and the guy that used to work or who's the GM for the Panthers right now? Marty, uh, Herney. Uh, Marty Herney, who rumor, yeah, yeah, Herney. Is rumor has it he's there. He's in the building today. Yeah, yeah. So and that's a big, you know, that's a, that's that I tweeted on the account. It's like, no, me gusta, not one bit. No, no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I agree. But I think um, we both agree, I, I believe that I think Smith would be the ideal GM. 
just because he's in-house, he knows what to do. Kyle Smith. He's been with this work. Kyle Smith, yes. Um, but I think he's on a four-month audition starting literally whenever, this, whenever that pain dries on that signature. I think it's, I think it's on him to, to win over that GM job. But it's going to – you know, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but that's what I think. I, so if, if, if it was up to me, not that it is in any way, shape, or form, but if it's up to me, um, Kyle Smith and Eric Schaefer are the dynamic duo of what we do. I think to take one small left turn, and you, you were talking about this and, and, and elaborating on a little more, um, I've made a point several times in other pods. Like I listen to Mike Lombardi, former NFL GM's podcast, on his GM shuffle. He loves Dan. Okay, uh, he loves Dan and Bruce. So he loves him some Dan and Bruce. But one thing he said um, – as of late, he's like, regardless of whether you like it or not, whether it's right or not, and this is coming from the perspective of former GM, that the organizational structure where the head coach has the dotted line to the GM who has the dotted line to the head to the owner no longer exists. We are in a paradigm now where the GM is a dotted line to the head, or excuse me, a direct report to the owner, and the head coach has an independent direct report to the owner as well. Like they're, they both, there's no linear one. They both roll up to the owner, and that's kind of how it is. And I think in certain offices, in certain <laughs> offices, you see you see this a little bit in Seattle with Pete Carroll and John Schneider. You see this Schneider. a lot and saw this a lot in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. You see this a little bit in Kansas City with Andy Reid and I can't remember. I think it's Chris Veach, who's or I can't remember his Veach. Brian Veach, I want to say is the GM's name. I don't know. No but there's certain the ones um, where it's the head coach who's the de facto decision maker but the gm is almost i don't want to say like in a in a serving capacity but basically a facilitating capacity the gm is the one who works out the nuts and bolts in the business side of the organization provides the scouting reports and runs the personnel side but it's the head coach who is the ultimate to borrow a george w bush term decider right like that's how it kind of works out in that capacity well, it's, it's not even it's not even a little bit in san francisco it's not even a little bit in buffalo the head coaches control it they were hired first. It's their gig. They helped go get the GMs hired. Exactly. But, uh, but they, they work together. Do the same way that the, the, uh, the Eagles do it this way to a less to some extent. Um, you know, it's it, it, the kind of current paradigm we in, we're in at the moment. And I think this is what's going to happen, regardless of whether it's Schaefer as the money guy and Smith as the personnel guy, whether it is Lewis Riddick as the personnel guy, whether it's Marty Herney as a personnel guy, it's not going to be them buying the groceries and expecting the coach to cook it. It's going to be the other way around <coughs> using that metaphor. The head coach is the chef and the other guy's just sourcing the groceries basically. Yeah. I think, um, I think that goes back to part of the culture thing. I think Bruce wants Rivera to have control of that because that's his build as. So he's going to hire him first, let him, yeah, Dan, and let him do his own thing. And then I think I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle, Kyle Smith becomes the, the, the GM and Schaefer becomes the kind of money guy. I think Riddick is, is, continues to be a um, very intriguing name. Um, I, did, I did poke fun a little bit at, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, Chad Rinko. Is that his last name? Oh, yeah, the Redskins <clears throat> Capital Connection guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poke fun at him because he's been just retweets everything about Riddick that he's been saying for years. But the thing that <clears throat> is most interesting to me is I go back to this guy, Charles Robinson, today. Came out and said for the GM search that um, obviously we know Dan basically handpicked Haskins in the draft last year. Well, apparently not only that, but apparently he's like completely sold on Haskins and he's going to do everything he can to sure. get that guy support. And the biggest supporter in the media is Riddick. Riddick is like super pro. Haskins, he ripped Jay for bringing him into that Giants game. Basically, it was like you set him up for failure, screwed the kid. And he also, Riddick's also <clears throat> said on Twitter and on TV that the Redskins haven't had a player like Haskins ever. Yep. Um, like, I would not be surprised if, and the, the small twist here is Rivera and Riddick have never worked together. Correct. But to, to trump that, Riddick has worked with Dan, which I think is more important. Yes, it is. So as long as they can coexist, I would not be surprised if he becomes our GM just because of his connection to, to a Dan and B his, his love affair of Haskins. So and coming in with an MO of we have to build around Haskins and Haskins is not the problem. It's not like how McLuhan and Gruden are we're, we're going to come in and say, look, I know you came, you hired us to fix Robert. We can't fix Robert. Go with Kyle or uh, Kirk rather. Right. Like it's not going to be like that situation. They're brought in to say, fix not that Dwayne Haskins necessarily needs fixing, but make him better, make me look right. And um, I think there was a quote by John Kime who he said it very eloquently. He said, 
the next GM kind of has to come in and us and he didn't say this, but he indirectly said it, um, massage Dan's ego to a certain extent that when moves work out, make it seem like it came from Dan, Dan credit, give Dan the credit for a move working out. And I think, you know, that's going to be the interesting dynamic of what GM is willing to do that. But as long as they're in agreement that, you know, they're making moves in the interest of improving Haskins, and which indirectly is going to massage Dan's ego because Dan was the one, as we said, came in and said, screw you, scouting staff, we're taking Dwayne Haskins. And I don't care what you think about your evaluation. Um, and, and I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Um, it, it's just, it's in, I did not realize the AJ Smith connection, but that makes a ton of sense. I, I, don't, I, I clearly missed on that one. Um, and I wonder if that's going to supersede the potential relationship between Riddick and um Ron Rivera working together. I don't know, you know, the NFL is, <coughs> excuse me, it's all about cronyism at the end of the day or old connections. <laughs> it's a good old boys club. It's a good old boys club in, 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 in its purest form. So that's going to be another interesting dynamic to watch. I, I, especially to the other point you made about how Eric, Eric Schaefer and Cosmith are wonder kids and whether Dan's going to want to let them get out of the building, considering all the work that they've done so far. I think it's just going to be interesting. I, I will re- repeat my stance that Marty Hardy is not the guy that we want here. Um, like I said, he is just uh, throw money at guys and make this desirable place to, pl- place to play, which indirectly means we dole out big money for players that we shouldn't. And that's the old that familiar. Redskins. I was going to say this sounds very, very familiar. This is what we used to do. And that would be the same old thing, just packaged up in a new form. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that kind piece that Marty basically said, you got to make it seem like it's Dan's idea for it to go over well. The um, that's been said throughout the years. <coughs> Snyder's like this 11 year old fan who wants to meddle. And every time I see a report, it's like, actually, he's not that uh, close to football operations anymore. He, he, he doesn't meddle as much as he used to. I, I, I basically laugh because the amount of times he comes and he says, no, get this done. It happens. And you just, you just have to deal with it. And I think it's interesting. I think GMs, that's why I think Riddick is so interesting because he knows that. And he's had to deal with it as, as someone that was in our scouting department. So, he could definitely handle it. Uh, and another reason why I think Kyle Smith is interesting, he's been in the building. He's probably been massaging uh, Dan's ego for a long time, so he probably knows how to handle it as well. And speaking of the good old boys club, he could probably tell Rivera, hey, this is how you need to do it in yeah. order to be successful. Um, so I don't want to ever be sound, sound like a Dan Snyder apologist in any way, shape, or form, because I'm not, and I would believe the only – Dan's day- the worst. Day greater than what today has been would be Dan Snyder selling the team. Let me make that emphatically clear. Not that that's ever going to happen in our lifetimes. But I think one thing we should be cognizant of while we bash Snyder and all of those things as a meddling, you know, somebody who's always got his hands on the product. I think that happens in every NFL team and every professional sports team, if you want to be completely honest. I mean, let the, the worst example of this or the most prime example of this, I mean, look at James Dolan in the Knicks, right? Every single thing that happens in the New York Knicks organization is because James Dolan fucking one thing up after another. It's all Dolan. Dolan's running the organization. They can hire whatever he might be the only owner worse than. Yeah, he's the only one I'll say emphatically is worse than Dan Snyder in terms of owners in professional sports, right? It's, it's in, it was him and, and Donald Sterling. <laughs> Sterling is obviously no longer the owner, right? But James Dolan. But I think even if you go to the NFL, right, like I, I've, I've said this a thousand times among friends and I've said it among, you know, on probably the podcast and stuff like that. We all hold Bob Kraft as like, oh, he's just, he just signs the checks and Bill Belichick runs the organization. I will die on the hill to this day that Bob Kraft was the one who, insi- who made the decision to trade Jimmy Garoppolo because Tom Brady came and whined and said, I don't want this guy looking over my shoulder. Bob Kraft was the one who decided to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, right? He intervened on this over Bill Belichick. There's no way in hell you can convince <laughs> Bill Belichick one to trade or was the orchestrator of trading away Jimmy Garoppolo because that was the parachute after Brady looks like Brady does right now um, again Bob right. Kraft was the one who made the decision on getting dumping Antonio Brown because of all the off the field stuff rightfully or wrongfully even after Tom Brady publicly lobbied that I want to keep Antonio Brown on the team Bob Kraft is like look we can't keep this guy on Steve Bishotti over in Baltimore, the model organization, he was largely the one responsible for the draft pick of Lamar Jackson, right? Like it's been well-documented that the Ravens drafted, traded back twice in the 2018 draft and took Lamar Jackson with their second first round pick. And they traded only after Steve Bishotti was like, yo, we can make this work. Can we make this work? Go coaches, go make this work. And then they traded up to take Lamar Jackson. What I'm trying to say with all of this is that owners meddle a lot more than we think and just Snyder gets a lot of publicity for it because all the stuff he did he always fails. Office. Well, that it too. Also, yes. it always fails. Um, speaking of meddling, you know me. 
We so we've talked a lot about Bruce. We've alluded to Larry Hess a few times. I I tweeted from the Hale District. Um, I'm actually going to pull it up so I can I can read it from the Hale District uh, Twitter today about. Um, I tweeted at Trent Williams. I said, "Come home at Trent Williams. You're the you're the most beloved Skins player of all time. Now you did this. Now come back home and let's finish what we started." One of my buddies texted me today and was like, "Do you think Dan just?" You know, listen to Trent said, we're going to fire Bruce and we're going to fire Larry all in the same day. And at dinner right now, they're talking about filling up Redskins one, flying down to Texas or Oklahoma or wherever he is and say, come on home. Um, I think Dan's going to meddle in a good way and get, I think Trent's coming back. I'm like convinced uh, that he is now going to come back and play for us. If I had to put my money on it, I would say Trent comes back. I, 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 I'm of the same sense. Dan's going to be like, hey, you know those checks I held, held, held from you? Here you go. No problem. Don't, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> like, Not something's only that, but Trent, whether he did this intentionally or whether he did this rea- in reaction, Trent was very um, effusive in his praise for Dan Snyder, by and large. And he was the one, as we've talked about previously, who made Bruce Allen to be, out the, plant, to be the plantation owner. Um, the John Kine piece today, again, said, and I quote, Williams said he believes Allen did not trade him or did not allow a trade out of purely vindictiveness, right? So what does that tell you? Like, Williams has come in and said, I expected to be traded or expected to play, and neither happened. And someone with the agenda was the one who orchestrated that, and it wasn't Snyder. So if you remove that, I have to believe that um, Snyder making this decision to push Allen out the door one of the factors of this absolutely was what Bruce Allen did to Trent Williams and the public PR disaster that that turned out to be. And now that we're on the other <clears> side of this, he can make a better PR move by rectifying all of this and bringing back Trent Williams and simultaneously fixing the left tackle position. Not only can he fix it, I mean, I think Trent wants to come back. And to your point about how he phrased, you know, his complaints to the Redskins organization, we talked about this, you know, at length whenever we talked about Trent, like, he just threw haymaker after haymaker after Bruce. He complimented Dan to your point. And he kept referring to things like, I actually missed the locker room. Um, I missed the guys in there. Like, I missed the fans. You know, he, he, he prepped himself as – and when people ask, well, if Bruce was fired, what, you know, what would you do? And it's, it's always the same response. Well, well, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. And so now that the two people he hated the most, Bruce and Hess, are gone – I don't see a world where he doesn't come back. Um, and the, the part of me today, like the reason I'm like so adamant and think this is going to happen is, is Haskins tweeted out, you know, at Trent. Yep. You know, let, let, let me holler at you real quick. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and Trent liked it. Yes. Uh, and liked multiple other tweets about Redskins fans being like, come home. Um, I, I think, so one of the things that I think gets lost a little now it's, it wasn't lost before but now that he's had the um, tumor and and all this stuff with bruce has gone through is <clears throat> trent has always been big on his uh, legacy and what that means to him he said he's always said the legacy means more to me than, than playing could you imagine how beloved this guy would be um if not only does he come back i basically view him as the, i'm not saying he's the sole reason bruce is gone but i think he was the linchpin because he's the one who publicly brought all this out to the national media and was like, yo, this is bad. And people started talking about it more than just hashtag fire Bruce Allen. It was a national story. So you have a guy who's drafted here. He plays his whole career here. He's the one that gets Bruce fired, comes back, and let's say he sets the, st- sets the tone and all of a sudden we're good again. That's a narrative that he's in the ring, ring of fame immediately and his legacy is like cemented. Um, and I, I don't think that can be lost. He'd, he'd be – one of the most beloved Redskins of all time. Really Can wouldn't. you imagine the idea that Trent Williams comes back and is, has as a subtitle to his legacy or his title as a member what of the Redskins? What if we win? He was the guy that helped us fire Bruce Allen. And then to your point, maybe, you know, bring us some type of playoff success. If I dare, I say further, like think about what that does for him. I mean, he's already one of the most beloved offensive linemen since the hogs of the eighties and the early nineties. And if he does all of that, I mean, he is, Yeah. I, to your point I mean, about his book. legacy, how much more can you do on top of being the one all-pro contender we have? Uh, oh, second. Don't, don't sleep on my boy Tress. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say outside the punter, and I just kind of bit my tongue there, but yes. Yeah. Uh, Trent, yeah, we got him long-term now. I just signed long-term today. Four years Great for the punter, man. Great time on the, uh, the announcing of that 
extension being official the day Bruce gets fired. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think <clears throat> if he comes back and then we win, uh, his legacy just doubles in importance to this whole, um, his whole Redson career. And that's all he ever talks about. You know, I want to build a legacy here. This is my team. Think about the amount of injuries that guy played through just in general. And um, he's not the only one. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Dunbar tweet about Larry Hess. It is I missed that terrific. One. It's terrific. Oh, I missed it. I'm going to have to go back and look for I it. Will, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look it up for you because he calls out Larry, what's his name, Hess, as, as hard as you possibly can. He was like, oh, Larry's out too, dot, dot, dot who's surprised or something like that. You know, nice. he, it was so, so direct at him. You couldn't miss. And it went wild on Twitter earlier today. The and for someone who's gone through the injury history that Dunny has, it's not surprising, right? I mean, look at the shit that that guy's gone through in his couple, few, his few years here. Yeah. He also has some weird injuries. He had that nerve injury. That was exactly. so bizarre. Um, and given everything that Geis, that Colt, that Trent and everybody else has been through, how, what are the odds that I should say, how low are the odds or how high I should say, or that his injuries were misdiagnosed at some level. Oh, they 100% were. Right. I mean, they had all those players. Man, those play. That guy, Robert Hinton, we've alluded to. Yep. Um, he's been talking about this for like nine years, ever since the Redskins got him. He was just like, this is the worst organization I've ever seen. Who was the guy that basically he had a horrible knee injury, and they're like, it's a sprain, and they made <laughs> it bear crawls in practice because he was like, his knee was so messed up, and they had said that he was just being a – a pansy about it and they're making like basically like he's ripping his the stitches are ripping off his knee as he's doing these as he's doing these uh drills and like the coaches were basically like you know you need to toughen up and it's like this guy's stitches Hainsworth? are yeah Hainsworth was just laying around the field and eating um but i can't remember who was the player somebody over the last couple of weeks but it's just unreal maybe i'm thinking of another yeah, I, team. i don't know who that is but it doesn't surprise me it yeah. doesn't surprise me uh doesn't surprise me at all but if you can't tell, I'm like, I need some mucinex badly. I'm just, I'm one <laughs> step ahead of you in terms of recovery. Um, yeah, no, I, I uh, you know, waking up today, they, regardless of what else happens, Bruce being fired, you know, I like, short of like running in the streets because the Nats won the, won the World Series, I was about as pumped as you get. It was like a mini Super Bowl victory for me, personally. That guy, like, I was with my family this weekend in in, uh, in Boston, and my my uh, two nieces and, and nephew are basically Patriots fans. You know, growing up in Boston, you see that much winning. How are you how are you not a Patriots fan? And my my brother jokingly was like, "Yeah, it, even for me, as he's older than I am, but he's a big Skins fan. He's like, even for me, being here and seeing them win constantly, it, it's hard not to root for them." And he asked me how. Um, keep in mind, this is before Bruce got fired. Um, how, what's it like being in Seattle? Cause uh, obviously the 12th man and like, yeah, Seahawks, but basically everywhere. And I kind of joked and, and looked at my brother and said, uh, I think this pain may die with me. I'm not sure I can pass, pass this on. And, you know, it, it hurt my dad to even hear that. Cause yeah. he's the one that made us all Redskins fans. And I like at the moment sincerely meant it. But this morning when I woke up and found out Bruce Allen was fired, I was like, all right, Give me my burgundy and gold shades. Give me my jersey. It's I'm back, right back in. It's, oh, man, you can't quit them. You can't quit you can't. I Somebody said, uh, pardon my vernacular in this, but someone said this so eloquently years back, and I love this phrase, is, um, is he's like, being a Redskins fan is like being married to a bitch you can't stand. And and it's and that's just what it is, right? Like it's, it's an abusive um, relationship. Or I see it the other way around. It's the old Jim Carrey and, and Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance every single time. Or so you're telling me there's a chance. Like it's every single time. And then after that, you go back to me and you say, what was all that one in a million talk? Right? And um, <laughs> like, that's just, that's just what life is, right? And it's like, on top of all of that, and we'll save this entire thing for another day. But it's like, we even locked up the second overall pick, and now we just have to make sure we don't fuck it up, especially with the defensive-minded dead coach, to just bring Chase Young here. R.D. Line, line with Rivera could be sick. Bring Chase Young back home. He's from Hyattsville, right? So it's like, just do that. It's, 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 it's marketing wrapped up for you, right? He's an Ohio <laughs> State guy. Uh, somebody asked some, Dwayne Haskins about what's the number two overall pick, and he said two yards, Chase Young. Like, it's just, it's all gift wrap for you. Everything's coming up Millhouse, to borrow another Simpsons quote, right? Like, um, 
it's uh plus Wilkes going back to Wilkes, he runs a four three. Four three, right? And I think if Finley's, you look at it all what's up? That's what I was saying. Finley's been alluding to it for quite some time, saying that the next coach is probably gonna it's end once. three, which is probably what well, frankly speaking, works better with his personnel anyway. I mean Ryan Anderson is a textbook Sam linebacker. They all are. Kerrigan has been playing out of position for his entire career. His entire career. We dropped sweat in the coverage in three games thirty three different times. Why? Dude's a six six edge rusher. Just put his hand in the dirt and let him go. Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen as as four three defensive tackles. You couldn't ask for anything better. It just it makes so yeah, much sense you, that it, it's and like, they're, well, they're not I, even they're not even the best DTs on the team. Exactly. We haven't talked about King Ionitis yet. Don't sleep on King Knights. Right. So Dude, that uh, D line. Oh man, we could be so good. Right. No, don't say that. We're still years away. We're still years. <laughs> away. This is, this is what happens. This is what happens. I think we'll end on that note. Um, we'll, we'll probably have much more to discuss in a subsequent podcast coming up very shortly as things kind of, as the dust settles and maybe if the GM position solidifies sooner rather than later, which it may not given some of the stuff we said later or earlier. But uh, thank you for everyone who's made it this far. As always, if you haven't done so already, please make sure you follow us on SoundCloud and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. And until then, we will talk to you later. And I can say this without a sense of irony or a sense of self-deprecation. Hail to the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins. We're back. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> we'll win three games next year. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.